Hello everybody, welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on a series we're doing called, Do You Want to Get Well? Do you want to get well? This entire series is based on an encounter that Jesus has with a man at the Pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. Uh, and here's a guy who's been sick for a very long time, um, 38 years, and, and yet he's sort of moved into that life as what he knows. He's gotten familiar with that life. And uh, it's not a good life, but it's the, it's the life he knows. And um, Jesus sees him there, which I love about Jesus, that when Jesus would walk um, everywhere he went, he was always looking and he saw people that everybody else missed. In effect, this guy had become invisible to the world around him. He didn't have any friends left. And, uh, Jesus walks up to him and engages him in conversation and in the conversation poses that question to him, do you want to get well? And uh, on the surface that might seem like, well of course I'm here at the pool of Bethesda but he's been there so long you, you, you sort of question some of those things. And The question is deeper than that. The, the question was really, you know, are you willing to make a change? Are you, uh, are you, are you um, willing to do things God's way? Will you, will you uh, have some faith? Will you trust in him? Because um, you know, Jesus says, "Get up and, and walk." Will you? Are you willing to break out of the familiar, and and maybe what's become comfortable, even if it's not good for you, in order to experience real life? And that was the question, and that is the question that we continue to ponder. Because I've said to you, this is a, a question that we'll we'll spend a lot of time on. Because to me, it's it's pivotal in our lives. Uh, it's it's sort of the battleground that we. We, we deal with, it revolves around that question, are we going to do things God's way, or are we going to do things our way, which by default has us following after the enemy? And are, are we, uh, you know, ready to make some changes in our life, to follow after him? And, and are we aware, maybe, you know, I've been talking about the battle, to hopefully be the motivation, because you, you need some sort of motivation to change, um, and that Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. In that same verse, it says the enemy's come to steal life away from us. And I always challenge people, um, you know, uh, is it, are you sure it's not the enemy who's been tricking you to steal your life away? Um, and he, he does it in all sorts of ways. We've been talking over this whole series about the way that he tries to trick us. Because he's, in effect, powerless. He was rendered virtually powerless at the cross. He was defeated there. But until Jesus comes back, he still has some, some room to operate. But he operates in trickery and schemes and lies. And, and he uses fear. And he uses worry. And he uses distraction. And he uses guilt. And he uses shame. And he uses pride. And we've been going over those things in depth. So that, that at least if we're aware of them, we don't have to keep buying into the life-stealing lies of the enemy. That's the battle. Are we, are we listening to the life-stealing lies of the enemy or are we listening for the whisper of God in order to find life? And so as we've been discussing these things, I've, I've said to you that, that God gives us a variety of tools and helps in this battle, that we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have we have the Bible, and we have prayer, and we have uh, other Christians, and 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 so there's so much available to us in this battle. And along the way, I said to you, I want to encourage you to uh, at least be spending five minutes a day in the Word. Do you remember that I've said five minutes in the Word and five minutes in prayer, time at the feet of Jesus, just to sort of get you you started. And uh, I've recommended some different things, just sort of on the fly as we went. But I want to dig deeper in the next part of this series into this idea of praying well, uh, of really um, in, in sort of 
picking up this area of our lives. Because to me, this particular area of our lives impacts all the other areas of our lives. If we, if we will consistently engage with God in prayer and in the Word, it will begin to impact every area of our lives and help us um, listen more intently for His voice and stop listening to the life-stealing lies of the enemy. So what I'm going to do over the next, like I said, five or six weeks is, is kind of lay out some ideas about praying well. And over the next, I don't know, six weeks or so, I, I want to um, give you the ideas of where I'd like to see you go. But I don't expect you to implement every one of these ideas every week. We'll start with the one today. But um, my, my thinking is that, um, that we'll develop these over time. And so when you, when you take on one sort of area, um, like in today's discussion, this, what I'm going to ask you to do takes about five minutes a day. And the next week, it's another five minutes a day. But, but don't try and next week add that five. Maybe wait three or four weeks, but you'll have the information when you go. Then I have another area I want you to add. It's about five minutes. And then maybe another one. Building up ultimately to about 20 minutes a day. Um, and uh, maybe a little more when you tack in the night one. Maybe another 15. But... See, it's like everything else. If you if you start, um, and I, and you hear me say to you, oh, you know, I, I'm going to have to spend you know 35, 45 minutes a day. That seems ridiculous if you don't have any time. So I'm not. I'm just saying, start with five minutes, and then then you build it up, and that's how it works. Because um, our spiritual life um, is is in in many ways like our our physical lives. We have to build things up kind of slowly in order to get used to them. And so this is how we build them up. You, you don't take too much on. You, you take it on in chunks. And you build your way up. I started running some months ago. And uh, I was just talking about that with, with different folks. I hadn't run for 20 years. And, uh, and so, you know, I think I'll run again. And, um, and so, you know, I started half a mile and then and slow half a mile and then <gasps> half a mile. And then worked it up to a mile eventually and then mile and a half and then two miles but this wasn't like every day this was I'd run a you know I started with a half a mile I think for a month it was enough and then you know built it up and the next month I was going you know a mile and then the next month and then at some point if you've been following my journey you know I, my knee hurt and I, I got to stop running for all which was kind of disappointing it, it felt better I started running again and, and now I've, I've sort of built that back up to, to running about three miles a day and now I'm running a little faster but if you'd have told me when I started that I needed to run three miles, you know, at this pace. I just said, forget it. I, I couldn't, I, there's no way I could have done it. I wouldn't have done it. But see, it's, a, it's an over the time. You, you build up over time, and our spiritual lives are like that. And my, my hope is that as you've heard me speak all these weeks now, that you realize that the motivation for digging deeper in is that what's happened is the enemy has been lying to us and stealing this part of our life away. Because he doesn't want us to have a, a good, solid spiritual life. Because that's where we experience real life. We settle for so much less than we should. Because we, we just sort of are coasting a lot of times. And I'm not picking on anybody. It's just there's so much that comes at us in this day and age that, that we can just push a button on that we're not stopping to dig a little deeper. And yet life is found deeper. Uh, it's not on the surface. It's, it's deeper as we as we dig into the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to find time in your lives to do this. So, so I'm going to build, build you up over the next five or six weeks in five different levels, but I don't expect you to add them every week. We'll, we'll talk about them in, in, in a condensed format, but then you'll have them in your, in your brain and you, in your notes and you can go back to it. And so you know, what I bring to you tonight, I hope you would work on for like the next month. And then, and then 
after that, we'll, what I talk about next week, you bring that on for the following month. And then you build it up and you watch and see how these things begin to happen. So this first level that we're going to talk about today is, is about a reading from the Psalms every day and a morning and nighttime reading. That's, that's really the best way to do it, a morning and a nighttime reading. And I've called this in the past, and I, I, I've got even a book, but we gave them all away. I've got to get some more copies. Um, called the Daily Salt Intake. Uh, that you, and you need to get your daily salt intake in your spiritual life. And that's what I want to talk about today. Our scripture reading as we dig in is this Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's how the book of the Psalms starts out. Um, that's the first three lines of it. Really good stuff. And it says, if you're spending time in this book day and night, guess what? Life goes better because you're more tuned in to God. You're not listening to the life-stealing lies of the enemy so quickly. You're plugged in. And so this idea behind um, what, what I call the daily salt intake developed um, from the merging of what I believe are two very important concepts of this now and forever life that we can have in Christ. The first concept comes from the, the prominence of the Psalms in the daily uh, spiritual lives of the early church and throughout the church history. And the second comes from Matthew 5.13 where Jesus tells his followers they're the salt of the earth. And so uh, in, today, since we'll be talking about the early church and about the monks, the desert monks, um, uh, during today's message, I'm going to tell with uh, you my favorite monk joke and my favorite monk story. So that's what's coming up for you. And, uh, and let's go ahead and we'll go to my favorite monk joke right now, and, and uh, then we'll get into the message. All right? So a man's driving down the road, and he breaks down near a monastery. He goes to the monastery, knocks on the door, and he says, hey, my car broke down. Do you think I could spend the night? And the monks graciously accept him, feed him dinner, and even fix his car. As the man falls asleep that night, he hears a strange sound. The next morning, he asks the monks what the sound was. We can't tell you. You're not a monk, they replied. The man's disappointed, but thanks him anyway and continues on his trip. Several years later, the same man breaks down in front of the same monastery. The monks again accept him, feed him, even fix his car. That night, he hears this strange, strange noise that he'd heard years earlier. The next morning, he asks again what it is, and the monks reply, we can't tell you. You're not a monk. The man says, all right, all right, I'm, I'm dying to know. If the only way I can find out the source of that sound is to become a monk, tell me, how do I become a monk? Ah, you must travel the earth and tell us how many blades of grass there are and, and uh, how many sand pebbles there are. And when you find these numbers, you will become a monk. So the man sets about this task. Many, many years later, he returns. He knocks on the door of the monastery. He says, okay, I've traveled the earth and I found what you asked for. There are 145,236,284,232 blades of grass. And there are 231,281,219,999,129 sand pebbles on the earth. Congratulations, a monk's reply. You are now a monk. We'll now show you the way to the sound. And the monks proceed to lead the man to a wooden door where the head monk says the sound is behind that door. The man reaches for the knob, but it can't open because the door's locked. Really funny, he says, can I have a key? And the monks give him the key and he opens the door. 
Behind the wooden door, there's another door made of stone. And the monks give him a key to this door. And he opens it to find a door made of ruby. And he asks for and receives a key from the monks. Behind that door is another door of sapphire. And he gets the key and he goes on and continues on through doors of emerald, silver, topaz, amethyst. Finally, the man is relieved to hear the monks say, this is the last key to the last door. And he unlocks the door and turns a knob. And behind that door, he's amazed to find the source of that strange sound. But I can't tell you what it is, because you're not a monk. <sighs> I didn't say it was really funny, I just said it was my favorite. So, you're not a monk, yeah. Point one, the Psalms help to keep us salty. And uh, that's with a P. And you'll see why in a minute. From the beginning, the church has used the book of Psalms as the center of its daily practice. The book of Psalms is also referred to as the Psalter. And Jesus quotes from the Psalms often. um, Perhaps most notably when he's on the cross. Um, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into your hands I commit my spirit are both direct quotes from the Psalms. Speaking of the monks and the rule of St. Benedict, who was a monk uh, um, in the early 500s, um, and uh, he wrote this rule of St. Benedict, 530, 560 AD, somewhere in there. Uh, and uh, he writes that it's the habit of the monks at that time to read the entire book of the entire Psalter, all 150 Psalms, every week. And he actually takes a jab at the monks who might think this is a bit much by me- mentioning that the monks in previous centuries used to read the entire Psalter every day so so in the earliest of our church history um, which which was a a big part of a Jewish tradition as well um, the the monks at that time the the religious community of that time uh, would read the Psalms 150 Psalms every day and so some years later I guess for the sense of being practical they cut that back to 150 Psalms every week um, and they, they had seven different times during the day that they would sit down in their prayer times and go through these psalms. But uh, obviously that's a lot of psalms. Um, as we sort of move through church history, when we get to the Book of Common Prayer in 1662, just as a point of reference, um, there the, at that point in time the church, uh, as we know it, is reading the psalms, or is encouraged to read the psalms every month. Once through, every month. 150 psalms every month. And it's, it's been, by then, um, put into readings that are very doable, five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night at the most. And really, it's faster than that, because it doesn't take that long to read the Psalms. Um, and, and the church is encouraged to read the Psalms by that point in time, through the month, once. And the thing is, as you read through the Psalms, you begin to see the entire spectrum of feelings and emotions, both positive and negative, that we experience as followers of Jesus. In the Psalms, you see all the temptation, all the conflict, all the doubt, all the fear that we've been talking about, all the groaning and the moaning and the grief on one hand, and on the other hand, you see the joy and the hope of his mercy and grace and kindness and deliverance, and, and, and it's all in there. The, the entire depth of the struggles are, are there in the Psalms, so they make this amazing foundation for prayer. And, and I think the church today, a lot of times people kind of stay away from the Psalms because in the beginning, they seem a little strange. They're often confusing. 
they seem violent sometimes. Um, oftentimes the Psalms actually seem even offensive. And yet, as you begin to read them in a repetitive and prayerful way, because it's not just reading them, we begin to sort of pray with them and through them to the Lord as we read. Um, I'm convinced that, that you, like all the generations who preceded you in the church, will, will begin to see how wonderfully the Psalms flow and, and connect and, and how amazing they are as a foundation for prayer. And, and the, the, reading the Psalms in a, in a consistent way will absolutely change the way that you go through your days. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 95. And along with my regular psalm readings, I read the first seven verses of Psalm 95 every morning. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. See that the Psalms are filled with this uh, amazing, wonderful connection with, with God and, and with the history of the people of God back through the, the, the people of Israel and then throughout the church. The, these psalms tie us together in this connection. And um, by keeping ourselves spiritually healthy and alive in a, in a consistent devotional life, incorporating a regular reading of the psalms, we'll be able to then fulfill the calling we have to be an impact on the world around us, to be the salt of the earth, which is point two in your notes. You are the salt of the earth. And again, the little P is there to tie it in with the Psalms. You are the salt of the earth. Matthew 5.13 says just that. You're the salt of the earth. Now let me tell you my, my favorite monk story. This isn't a joke. This is a great story. There was a famous monastery that had fallen on hard times. Formerly its buildings were filled with young monks and the sound of chants and singing, but now it was deserted. People no longer came there to be nourished by prayer, worship, or community. Only a handful of old monks shuffled through the cloisters as they praised God with heavy hearts. Now, near the monastery was a, was a wood, and in the wood, a rabbi had built a hut. And one day, the abbot of the monastery decided to visit the rabbi and open his heart to him. So, soon after morning prayer, the abbot set out towards the woods and the rabbi's hut. As the hut came into view, the abbot saw the rabbi standing in the doorway with arms outstretched in welcome. The two men embraced each other like long-lost brothers. The rabbi invited the abbot into his hut, and the rabbi said, You and your brothers are serving God with heavy hearts, and you've come to me for wisdom and advice. I will give you the advice you require on one condition. When I tell you what it is, I have to say, you must promise me to repeat it only once. After that, no one must say it aloud again. The abbot agreed, and the rabbi looked at him and said, The Messiah is among you. The abbot left pondering the words he had heard. The next morning, the abbot called his monks together in the main room. He had them, he told them he'd been, been to visit the rabbi in the woods to receive wisdom from him on their situation. He explained to the other monks the condition the rabbi had put on the teaching. The abbot paused with the eyes of the other men um, on him, wondering what he might say. Eventually, the abbot told them the rabbi had said that the Messiah was among them. The monks were startled by this teaching. What could it mean, they asked each other. Who could it be, they asked. 
Could it be Brother John or Father Matthew or Brother Thomas? Could it be that I'm the Messiah? They were all deeply puzzled by the rabbi's teaching, but no one ever mentioned it again. As time went by, the monks began to treat one another with a very special reverence. There was a gentle, wholehearted, and generous spirit among them now, which was very hard to describe, but very easy to notice. They lived with one another as people who had finally found something, but they prayed and lived and read the scriptures together as though they were looking for something. Occasionally, visitors found themselves deeply moved by the lives of these monks. Before long, people were coming from far and wide to be nourished by the prayer life and community of the monks and were asking to become a part of their life together in the community. Now, I love that story. I I love the ending lines again. The monks began to treat one another with a very special reverence, a gentle, wholehearted, generous spirit among them, hard to describe, but easy to notice. They lived with one another as people who had finally found something but they prayed and lived and read the scriptures together as though they were looking for something. Before long, people were coming far and wide to be nourished by the prayer life and community of the monks and were asking to become a part of their life together in community. See, to me, that's a wonderful description of being salty, being a seasoning to the world. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be the salt of the earth because our lives are meant to enhance and give meaning to life. Um, see, the, 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 little, the Messiah is among you. See, Jesus is here. He's among us. And, and we want to be careful that we don't get so stale that, that the world can't see that in us. We want to, we wanna, you know, live with the understanding that Jesus is with us and for us and, and in us and, and that he wants us to treat people like that and, and to love people like that and to realize what we've found and yet at the same time to know that, that we're to continue to press into him so that we can know him more and, and, and in a deeper way. Before we knew Jesus, see, talking about the salt of the earth, we were more like grains of sand too numerous to count, but now in in Christ we're transformed from the blandness of sand to the tastiness of salt. We take on like a whole different kind of molecular thing, if you would, that that we become different from from sand that's that's just, you know, uh, tasteless and, and bland to salt, which brings flavor and life. It's a really neat analogy, I think, that Jesus would compare his followers to salt. Salt is used for flavoring, preservation, and it's needed by people in order to survive because it regulates the water content in our bodies. As his followers, as the salt of the earth, we're needed to bring hope and balance to a dying world, to help them see and receive the living water that Jesus has. We're, we're on a mission to be the salt of the earth. Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, one of our core mission verses here at the church. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. He's, he's like salt, not sand. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This next verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, is where we get this 5.21 thing that I do all the time. It's from this verse. But God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Jesus did at the cross was allow us to have life again. And that's what this whole series has been about. He defeated the enemy there and has made a way for us to have real now and forever life. The, the righteousness of God is a, is a rightness before God. It's a right way of living. And so all this happens because of what Jesus has done as we choose to go his way instead of our own. And as we go his way, then we, we understand it's not just about us connecting it's it's about that connection then having an impact on the world around us in mark 9:50 jesus says this he says salt is good but if it loses its saltiness how can you make it salty again have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other when he asks that question what good is salt if it loses its flavor um, if as believers, we've lost our sense of mission and purpose, our spiritual fervor. What difference is there between us and when we were like the old grains of sand we once were? Not much. We, we, without um, our, our spiritual fervor, our connection in the Lord, a, a daily solid interaction with Him, we quickly move back to become just like the, the, the monastery did on its last legs, not impacting the world around us, not loving each other well, not connected well, not growing in Him. And, and, and so we need to be connected to Him. And remember, we have this very real adversary who's trying to steal it all away from us. He's just trying to steal the life that we can have away. He, that's all he wants to do. He knows his, his fate. And all he wants to do is take as many people down as he can. And so he tricks. And he lies. And he traps. And he schemes. Because he wants to steal life from you. He would love for us to lose our flavoring. To return to non-impacting sand instead of life-giving salt. Remember John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The full and abundant life is flavorful and has meaning and purpose. Stay salty by getting your daily salt intake every day. This connection is huge in how this impacts us. See, it's not just about us, but, but how our life then um, connected to him flows back through us to the world around us and, and then gives us meaning and purpose and mission. And it all begins to make sense. And an adversary, he wants to steal it all away. So we need to dig in, press in. So let me encourage you, start by reading Psalms every day in the morning and at night. Um, I put links this week on keysvineyard.com and preachinginshorts.com that, that will help you with this process. And uh, if you just go to those pages, our main website or my Preaching in Shorts website, and on the right-hand side on both of them, you'll see a thing that's, that's capital letters for do you want to get well, D-Y, 
WTGW. And underneath are the links. And the first link underneath, daily salt intake. You click on there, it'll take you to a site. All the readings are right there. You just push the buttons, all right? If you don't want to read it through the site, it'll tell you what you need to read for every day. Simple readings that take you through morning and night, and, and you'll have it. If you were here when I, was, when I passed out the seven or 800 copies of that book, if you've still got that book at home, get it. We're going to get some more printed. We'll have them in the next couple of weeks. Start with that. Um, today's, it's the, I don't remember the date. I think it's the 10th. So tomorrow would be the 11th. Start with day 11. Just start right there. You don't have to start on day one because day 11 is where you're at and runs through the month and it does that every month and you start this sort of habit of reading them. But it will help you to stay salty and see it's a bigger picture. It's not just sitting down and reading. It's back into the life that we're called to and the reasons for it so that we can be a people of mission and purpose, salt and flavoring and preservation to the world around us. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, if you're watching by video or on television, thank you so much. We appreciate you doing that. We know how valuable your time is. If you need prayer, go to our website at keysvineyard.com and find the prayer page and send it and we'll start praying for you. You can call us and we'll pray for you that way. Um, but we're very thankful for the time that you've spent with us tonight and we look forward to seeing you soon.